beloved. It is good to be with you again today. Looking forward to our time of picnic um, afterwards, fellowship. Hopefully all of you can make it. Today we will wrap up our series on being children of God. It has been my prayer that you would grow in your understanding of your relationship with God as your Father, your Heavenly Father. The more we understand our identity as His children, the stronger our commitment to obey Him will grow and grow and grow. So we need to understand this relationship more and more. The more we understand the Father's love for us, the more we will seek to imitate our Father This is what the whole series has been about. Our Abba Father is disciplining His children all the time. He's instructing us. He's teaching us. He's, uh, for lack of a better term, spanking us often. No, the discipline is not always as painful as it could be. However, the Father is using the Spirit to put to death sin in our lives. And the discipline that he gives us is not always correction for a previous sin. Some of it's instruction to keep us from falling into a certain sin and to keep us valuing him above all else. The father-child relationship with God involves all the discipline associated with the earthly relationship it mirrors. That is, the discipline of our Heavenly Father includes instructing us or instruction education, training, and correction. Much of this discipline does involve pain. One of you last week gave me an example of discipline that is painful but is not a direct consequence of sin. You know, I kind of brought that up to you last week. The person gave me this idea. She said, it's the pain of an athletic... She actually referenced a movie. It's the pain of athletic training. It's a good example. A coach, it's often like an earthly father. He drives the athletes to train them and prepare them for the athletic battle. All of you understand what I'm talking about, right? If, a, if, a, if an athlete doesn't train rigorously... When they get out on the field, they do what? They bomb. They're no good. They get beat up by the bigger guy or the guy that's been trained better. Often, it's not necessarily how big you are. It's how well you train, correct? And that training takes pain and work. Interestingly, in our passage in Hebrews chapter 12, we have that same metaphor at the beginning and the end of the section. Run the race. And then at the end, strengthen the knees of the the weary. So the idea of the athletic training is right centered around the idea of disciplining us and the Father who disciplines us. He trains us. He instructs us. He does make us do push-ups when we blow it. (laughs) He gives us corporal discipline. He does this all with the purpose of making his children look like his son the one we are following and fixed on. In order for us to be ready to compete and win in athletic competition, it requires pain in order to run the Christian race, life, 
this Christian life that we are in and persevere. We must do it through faith in Christ and endure the pain. This is often the pain our Father brings into our lives to bring about that ultimate goal. He has an ultimate goal, and that is that we will prize Him above everything else. Sometimes God brings instructing discipline to help us grow in maturity and depend upon Him even more than we do. You know what I've noticed in my own life, and I don't know if this fits perfectly, but I think just looking at this over time, when I first became a believer, I got lots of spankings from the Lord. I mean, really painful spankings. You know, like having to pay off $30,000 worth of credit card debt because I wasn't disciplined with my money. Right? That was a painful spanking. The older I get and the more I walk with the Lord, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm still battling sin constantly, but that some of the things that he disciplines me and works with me in is to not hold on to things as tightly as I should, the way the world is. He's getting me to let go of the things of the world completely. Even some of the things that I have, I hold dear to my heart. Every parent in the room knows what I'm talking about. Our children or our parents, our love for our family. Some of these things, it's not that we don't love them, but we can never value them over him. And God does some discipline in our older and as we mature in our walk that really, 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 really changes us and challenges us. And I would argue it's just as painful as some of those early spankings, maybe even more. Looking at your son laying in a hospital bed, not realizing whether he's going to live or die, it's challenging, isn't it, Jimmy? We look to God and we say, God, your disciplining hand is hard to bear at times. It's instructing me. Did we sin? No, not necessarily a sin, but he wants us to value him above all things. I remember growing up when my father would make me go out and mow the yard. I was a skinny little guy. I probably didn't weigh over 100 pounds until I was 18 years old. And it was hard work. You know, Florida sun. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It was hot work, and it was painful work, but it was profitable pain. It taught me the value of hard work. It taught me about being responsible and doing my best even when it involved pain. This is the instructing side of discipline that our Father brings into our life. By the way, God, uh, in my earthly, even though my earthly father is not necessarily one that trusts in God and believes in him, God still used him to prepare me to serve you. And you really, as strange as this sounds, I'm, I'm pleading with you. You pray for my father. And you, to a degree, should be thankful for even my father. I'm thankful for Mr. Mark's father, and I'm thankful for Jimmy's father, and I'm thankful for Shane's father. To a degree, all of these people help to shape you. If my, do- my dad had not taught me to value work and to work hard, guess what? You'd have some pretty horrible sermons every Sunday morning. Do you understand? It takes work to put these things together. Somebody asked me the other day, uh, yesterday, well, 
what do you do if you're not done? Do you just kind of wing it? Uh, no. You stay up until it's done on Saturday night. Yes? Yeah. I don't go to bed until 2.30, 3 o'clock if that's what it takes. Because I must give you what God's word says and be accurate. Otherwise, I'm not a disciplined man. I'm not honoring the Lord. Beloved, this is what the disciplining hand of God does in our life. It teaches us. It instructs us. It, it corrects us. At the same time, if you ha- didn't have a father who trained you through discipline, this doesn't mean you have an excuse for being lazy and avoiding giving your all all the time. If you are a child of God, <laughs> beloved, you've got a father, a heavenly father. That will bring pain into your life by his disciplining hand if you're lazy, if you don't work, if you don't take responsibility for what you do. You will serve our Father for our Father's glory, and God will discipline you until you do. That's the way he is. Does he do this because he's angry or mad or an ogre? No, he does it because he loves us. Beloved, when these things happen in your life, it's all to cause us to value him and serve him. The whole book of Hebrews is about prizing Jesus Christ. It's all about valuing him. It's all a book about the glory of Christ and how he should be all that we're about. So what do you think God does? He does every aspect of discipline in order to get you to do that no matter what your circumstances are. Constantly in the book, the author calls the reader to consider Jesus, focus on him, depend upon him, meditate on him, value him above everything and everyone. So as we come to Hebrews chapter 12, we see fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Run the race, right? We are able to endure some of the hardest trials when we are fixed on Jesus. What we do with Jesus Christ reveals how we will endure during times of difficulties. What we do with Christ, how we're related to God, determines how we will live in the hard times. I know I sometimes sound like a pessimist. I would just call it being a realist. We are facing some difficult times to come, beloved. Every one of us. If you do not have your eyes fixed firmly on Christ, it will not make sense. And you will not survive. I promise you. Contrary to our post-mill friends that think that things are getting better, I'm convinced they're not. We must understand We must value Christ above everything, even our own lives. He will discipline us to get us there. The audience of the book of Hebrews needed to know forsaking the world for Christ was the only thing that mattered. With this section, we get both a warning to avoid forsaking the Lord for sin and an exhortation to endure through suffering. For those who are considering giving up on Jesus, there's a warning. If you leave Christ and you are really God's child, there will be painful corrective discipline. 
He will spank you. I promise. For those who are enduring but experiencing the pain of living in this world, there's encouragement. If you are experiencing the pain of the Father's instructive discipline, there's hope because this this is the love of the Father for His children and for our good. There's both encouragement and confrontation in this passage today. Both are God's disciplines. Both the painful instructive discipline and the painful corrective discipline. So why do I take discipline in this passage to be so broad, to include all of this? Not only corrective, but instructional. The context of the passage. Look in verses 3 and 4, one time, once again, just to remember. For consider him who had endured much such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. The context is obvious, that they're suffering, and Jesus is the example. And again, this fits all categories, all categories of instructive discipline and corrective discipline. Notice also, remember the whole book points to our relationship with Jesus as our suffering sacrificial high priest and brother. Look back at chapter 2 of Hebrews. Turn over there real quick. I wanted to do this last week, didn't have enough time, so I'm going to do it this week. The author of Hebrews lays out this family relationship in the beginning of the book. In Hebrews, we see two main points, really, that concerning our relationship with the Father. First, in Hebrews 2, it introduces the family relationship with God as our Father in Christ. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, we see it applies the family relationship with God as our Father in Christ. So when we look back at Hebrews chapter 2, we see in verse 9, let's read. But we do, we do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through him are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sacrifices and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to be called to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, verse 14, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does give he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. 
Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Do you see the relationship? It's laid out, isn't it? There's a couple of features I want you to notice. The author's main point is to exalt Jesus in this section and, and, and to show off his glory. But notice some of the, the, some of the themes that are clarifying to our relationship with God as our Father. Just to summarize, look back at verse 10. We see the relationship is established. In verse 10 it says, We are called bringing many sons to glory. That idea of sonship, that we are sons going towards glory. Verse 11, all from one father, and then he calls them brethren. Who is that? That's Jesus calling us what? Brethren. Why? Because of the death, burial, and resurrection, just like we saw in John chapter 20. Verse 12, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. Again, speaking probably of Christ here. Verse 13, I and the children who God has given me. Verse 14, the children share in flesh and blood. Verse 17, therefore he had to be like his brethren in all things. But notice all of this accomplishment. How did we become a part of this family of God? How are we God's children? What had to happen? Christ had to suffer. Now look, look back at 9 again. This is how it's established. This is how the relationship with us as God's children is established. Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, their salvation through suffering. Again, this is the whole context of the relationship with God. And I know at this point, some of you are saying, but that was Jesus. Beloved, that's us. That is life. When we are here on this planet, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. This wasn't just some crazy concept. This is the whole salvation process. We've talked about this, haven't we? Is dying to sin easy? No, it's hard. It's painful. Jesus suffered, so what are we going to do? We're going to suffer too. It's painful. Now, at this point, some of y'all are saying, okay, give me some hope. Give me some hope. Well, the hope is this. It's glory. It's the hope of heaven. It's the hope of being with him. If your eternity, if your life is all about your life here, it could be pretty hard to deal with. But if your life is about eternity, then this is a short period of time. Oh, beloved, please listen to me. Verse 14, through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. We have hope, don't we? We have hope that when this body dies, we're not going to be separated from God forever. Why? Because Christ suffered. Verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to appease the wrath of God. So where's our hope? Our sins are paid for. We're going to be with God. Is suffering necessary? Yes, 
Is suffering valuable? Yes. Is discipline good for you? Yes. That's the whole point of the whole book. Endure through your hardship with an eye fixed on the glory of Christ. That's the point. Verse 18, for he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered. So the relationship with the father was established through suffering of the son. Through the son's suffering, we were made sons and daughters of God, brethren of Jesus. Jesus experienced all the suffering that we do and much, much more. So this was the introductory call to our focus on Christ. The author continues this theme. Look at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren. How many of you are holy brethren? <laughs> All of us were set apart brethren. Why? Because of God. Partakers of the a heavenly calling. What are we supposed to do, holy brethren? Consider Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. Fix your attention on him. The, apo- the apostle and high priest of our confession. This is the theme. This is the focus. The theme of the son obeying the father is also mentioned. Look there at Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. I think this is the it is arguably one of the main points of the whole book. Although he was a son. Now again, the son. The son of God. Although he was the son. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. I don't think it's that he learned as in he got more knowledge. I think it's that he experientially understood obedience to the Father through suffering. He experienced that. Beloved, listen to me. How many of you know this about your 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 kids? How many of you know this about when you were a kid and your parents told you to do something? You want to know whether or not a child will obey. You want to know whether they'll obey and whether they really get it. It's when you tell them to do something that will be painful. Whether they obey through pain, correct? That shows whether they really get it. Correct? That's exactly what happens with the Hebrews. They had lost property. They had given up things to follow him. And now some of them appear to have been wanting to bail. When things got tough, they were wanting to give up some of them. Beloved, we need these things to demonstrate our love for the Father. He brings these things into our life. The discipline. And by the way, even discipline for doing wrong things. That corrective hand of discipline. How many of you have uh, disciplined your children and when you did, they looked at you with the angry look? Why did you spank me? And they get, you can see it. They begin to get angry at you, or we'll, we'll use a teenager. Uh-oh. We say, you can't play any video games for a week. 
My teenager never does that. <laughs> Just kidding. What, what is it like? Why are they like that? Why are we like that? Trust me, when my parents disciplined me, I wasn't always, uh, oh, thanks, that's great, give me another one. The reason why is because we want to do what we want to do, and we sure don't want any consequences for what we do. Right? But, beloved, a good parent disciplines their children because they love them. And this is exactly what God does with us. He does not want us to value anything in this world over him. Do you understand that? And he will do whatever it takes to get us there. So, here's my warning. You ready? Open your hands. (laughs) Do this. Do you understand? Anything you hold on to tightly, he will pry your fingers off of them. And it can be very, very painful. Do you understand me? And why does he pry your fingers off of it? Because he loves you. And he knows your greatest joy is found in what? Him. And him alone. How many of you signed up for that kind of relationship with the Father? That's why I think we should count the cost a little bit more. I think we need to be real with people when we're giving them the gospel too, right? Beloved Jesus even experienced obedience from with that which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Very interesting. Do you see what words are repeated? Obedience. What else? Made perfect, the author and perfecter of faith. Hebrews 12. Obedience, suffering. Boy, isn't that the same themes? They're the same ones as 12. One and two. That's the point, beloved. The relationship of the Son to the Father is a key theme for the book of Hebrews. This theme coupled with the theme that the Son's relationship is with us as his brethren sets the foundation for the application section of the whole book. Now, I think this is very important. I want us to kind of get an overview of what it means to be a child of God. And I'm going to give you an overview of this, okay? Now, remember, I've talked to you. As we've gone through all the books, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, Paul's writings, that talked about adoption, and then John's book, John, and First John, it talked about terminology of being a child of God. And then we see Hebrews, we'll talk about that in a second. Hebrews has those same ideas of explaining what it means to be a child of God. In Paul's terminology, there was adoption and being positionally right with God and being redeemed and being called children of God. That we were indwelt by the Spirit and therefore we called out Abba Father, right? Because the Spirit was working in us. We have an inheritance, and that's associated with being a child of God. We are heirs with him, right? And then we are sons of God. There is an emphasis on sons of God in Paul's writing. In John's, it was a little different. It talked about being born again or regenerate. 
and having a right relationship with the Father. That was an ongoing relationship, that we were children of God. And he, remember, John avoided using the word son of God, sons of God. And the reason why is because his focus was on Jesus, right? But he brings in this idea of being children of God and that we have eternal life. And how do we, what is eternal life? That we have an ongoing knowledge and experiential knowledge and understanding of the Father and the Son. That we have a, an intimate relationship with Him. That we are ongoing in our belief. It's all about the relationship with John. And that we are spirit and dwelt. And we saw how both of those kind of sometimes meshed over onto themselves. In Hebrews terminology, that same relationship of children of God is mentioned. But now he focuses in on the relationship. It's not necessarily when you got saved. It's, okay, this is what the relationship with God looks like. And he, call, he, he mentions, obviously, discipline. Discipline is a part of being a part of God's family, to be a child of God. And he says we are sons of God. Even though he emphasized the Son of God, here he actually says we're sons of glory and we're going to share with him because of what Christ did. What a glorious thing. We are children of God, he says and implies. And takes it a step further, highlighted a little bit in John, but very little, that we're brethren. It's also mentioned in Romans at chapter 8, right? That he would be firstborn among many brethren, right? Here, it's mentioned numerous times in Hebrews 2. And suffering is a part of being a child of God. And obedience is important. And the glory to come is what we hope for. These are the things. This is what a relationship with God looks like. And I know that looks very confusing, but hopefully I can unfold it a little bit. This is what a child of God looks like. And they kind of overlap. All of these concepts kind of overlap. And this is what the Bible says a child of God looks like. This is what the relationship looks like. And I want you to notice in the middle where it's in all of them, there's this focus on our identity as children of God. This is who we are. This is our identity. And there's some overlap, but certain people like Paul and the author of Hebrews focus on sons of God. Whereas in John and the author of Hebrews, the focus is on relationship. All of this is trying to give us a picture. Beloved, if you understand this slide, do you understand all that's encompassed in being a child of God, your life is going to be different. You're going to be different. Who are we? We are adopted children of God. We're redeemed children of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're brethren. He is our brother. He's firstborn. We believe in Him continuously. We have a right relationship with God. We obey our Father, and our Father disciplines us so that we will obey Him. Oh, folks, do you see that if we... This is who we are. Don't you think we're going to look different than the world? We're going to look dramatically different. Our identity determines, it reveals whether or not we are Him. We live like how we identify. If we are children of God, we will love and we will serve and we will imitate our Father. This is what it's all about. How do we persevere in this world that seems so painful? Answer, we're children of God. We get it. 
We understand all this truth. This doctrine is not just, let's get together and have a doctrinal study on children of God. It's not what it is. It's truth that drives us. It controls us. We're promised glory and all these things matter. So, when the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, look there, says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, glory, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What's his call? In light of our relationship and our identity in Christ, endure looking to the reward. It's the same thing Paul said, isn't it? It's the same thing John said. It's the same message. If our hope and our joy and our happiness is in this world, we are dead. Fact. Our hope and joy is in Christ and being with Him forever. I know, I know, that's not really a great message for this world. You're not going to attract very many people in this world, are you? How many people are going to sign up? Can you imagine, uh, just for a second, think about this, if a president all of a sudden said, hey, you know, it's really not about this world. It's about heaven. It's about hope in heaven. (laughs) Vote for me because my eyes are fixed on heaven. He would get no votes. Very, very few votes, wouldn't he? Because people want what? Their lives fixed now. Truth? Whereas the author of Hebrews says, endure because your hope's coming when? Later. And then he spends a whole chapter in chapter 11 saying, all these people that went before us in chapter in, in the Old Testament, you know what they did? They put their faith in something they hadn't received yet. They didn't see it. They didn't get it. Trust. And they trusted. I love this verse. Look over at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Here you go. How about this for a a platform? For all believers, here's your platform. You ready? And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. You say, well, when's the reward? Well, then read the rest of the chapter. <laughs> the, rest of the, the reward is not now. In fact, look over at Hebrews 11.35. Here's the reward. You ready? No, this isn't the reward. This is the endurance through the trials before the reward. Look at Hebrews 11.35. Women receive back their dead from, by resurrection. Well, that sounds good, right? That's real good. Again, the child died. Of, uh, the, the man died later on. There's still death. And others were tortured. Oh, throw that one out. Not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins. That's not, that's not talking about good things, by the way. They're not having good clothes. That's not pleasant clothes. Being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. What would you call them? Lives of failure. In our world, that's what the world would call these people. These were total, utter failures. (laughs) But in the eyes of God, it is what? The hall of faith. The pinnacle, I would argue, of chapter 11 is, are these people. These are the pinnacle. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Son and two, most likely. Oh, beloved, if our eyes are on now and the suffering that we are enduring now, is all we can see. We're dead. God is calling us to a higher calling. That's why we saw our imperatives were children of God must reflect on our suffering Savior in verses 3 and 4. And children of God must remember our difficulties are from our Father. It's the disciplining hand of God. And we began to unfold these. And we saw that discipline is according to His Word. God said it was going to be this way. And this is what's happened. We see that in 5 through 6. Read that real quick. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now again, obviously, and I would say that corrective discipline is a primary thought here. Because these people needed to be corrected, some of them. Corporal punishment is a reality. It, it, God does it. He disciplines us and corrects us for sinning and valuing things above him. The Father spanks us. Notice also there's reproving as mentioned. At the bare minimum, any of these readers who are considering abandoning Christianity, these would be words of warning. In in, in essence, it's this. If you are a child of God and you abandon Him, then pain is coming. And I use that warning. I've used that warning before to other people. Christians, how many of you have had Christians, people that you love dearly, and you think, okay, they're good, and then five years down the road, you're like, you can't find them with radar. Where are they? They're not walking with God. What do you tell them? I think you tell them this verse. I think you tell them these verses. Have you been miserable this whole time being away from God? No, not really. I prayed that prayer. I'm all set. Oh, do you realize you might not be a child of God? You are being judgmental. You need to stop being so judgmental. No, I'm concerned for your soul. It says here in the Bible that his children, he disciplines them. 
And if you're not under the hand of discipline and you're just fine living in the world and being other world, there's a problem. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I know I've been walking in sin, but I don't feel that bad. I haven't been that miserable. I know I keep doing the same thing all the time. I know I'd like to stop, but, you know, it's no big deal. I'm okay. Let me warn you. If you are not crushed by your sin, there is a major red light flashing from this pulpit today. It's screaming at you. Be warned. Be warned. God wants his children to value him. And if you are not, he will spank you. And if you don't get a spanking, and you aren't getting spankings, you might be illegitimate children. Fact. I know that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. It's what this passage says. Look, discipline is necessary for our maturity. So we must abide under it. We must endure under it. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This should literally be translated for discipline. For discipline, endure. It should be translated this way as a command. Endure for discipline. Now you say, what? Why would I endure for discipline? Because you need it. (laughs) Trust in God. Endure the pains that he brings upon you. Because it is what you need. You need that discipline. We need it. I need it. I need it. It's a command to endure because discipline is necessary and good. We grow up in our spiritual relationship with our Father through discipline. We mature through it. This is the author's exposition of Hebrews or of Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, which was mentioned in the previous section. Hebrews 2 stated that we are sons through Jesus, right? Hebrews 12 now states, God now treats his sons and daughters this way. This is what a relationship with God looks like. It includes discipline. Sons don't become like sons without large doses of discipline. Y'all get this? You will not look like the son if the father doesn't discipline you. And if the father, listen to me, if the father gave suffering and ordained suffering for the son, how much more should we expect it? who don't walk in his obedience. If you're not getting spankings for unrepented and unconfessed sins, be afraid. And if you're in sin, and you're not getting that discipline, I would cry out to God, bring the spanking. How many of you in here, when you were a kid, 
saw yourself sin, do something wrong, knew it was going to get a spanking from your parents, and you walked up to them and said, I deserve a spanking. (laughs) How many of you in here, I'll take it one more step, not just said, I deserve a spanking. Dad, give me the spanking so that I will learn not to do it. Did anybody in the room ever say that? Okay. Beloved, this is what mature believers do. They say, God, I see it. I see this sin. Bring the pain. Anybody in here agree? This is how we should be thinking. Bring the pain. Beloved, we need it. If we are continuously in a, de- in a sin and we aren't completely miserable and there aren't, you know, it's like the, it's like the, uh, it's like the guy that has the drinking problem and he gets in a car and he starts driving when he's drunk and he gets pulled over for DUI and he goes, the one time I get in the car, the one time I get in the car and drive and I get a DWI, these police are just after me. No, do you understand God's sovereign? If you aren't getting DWIs and you're getting in cars and drinking and getting drunk, guess what? Be afraid. You might not be a legitimate child. This is truth. This is what the Bible says. It's painful, isn't it? It's the way it is. The Hebrews needed to realize something important. Pain was for their maturity. It was for their good. It was meant to drive them to Christ. It was meant to cause them to value eternal things over temporal things. You know, Israel went through this, didn't they? What happened with Israel? They wanted a king. Not the king that they should have wanted. They didn't focus on the right king. So what did God do? He gave them king after king after king after king. And they were all wicked kings. Every one of them as at the core. Almost all of them. For the northern tribes of Israel, they were all wicked. Every one of them. Why? Why? So that they would see that they needed a righteous king and they would turn back to God. It was a spanking. It was grace. Oh, folks, I see this in our country so much. Don't you understand? Calvin's spot on. Calvin's spot on when he says what he says. God will give a nation the leaders as an act of judgment. Wicked leaders as an act of judgment. Why do we have these choices? Answer, because we're wicked to the core. I'm serious. Yeah. 
watch these. I can't stand to watch these videos on Facebook. Guys, are you killing me? Is it killing you? Watching a 20-week-old baby dying in the hands of somebody. What is going on? It's unbelievable what we're doing. Bring the pain, God. Bring it. And start with me. And we gotta wake up. We gotta wake up. Discipline is a guarantee or we are not children of God. That's clear, isn't it? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. doesn't need to be explained. You get it? Discipline is common sense that produces respect. Look at 9 and 10. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. You know, in our society, discipline is a bad thing. Allowing everyone to do what's right in their own eyes is the right thing to do. While discipline and correcting and instructing children is horrible and too restrictive and intolerant. It fails to let a person be who they want to be. That's what our society tells us. Let them do and be what they want to be. If the culture says it's okay then it's fine. That's what our culture and our society says. Let people do and say and be whoever they want to be. Isn't this our postmodern culture? You know what it is? Total foolishness. It's foolishness. We are a bunch of fools. We really are. We're a bunch of fools. This is so crazy because a society is made of wicked, depraved sinners. And if we let people do whatever the community considers to be right, then they will ultimately do what? Destroy themselves. A society that undermines the most basic, common sense structure of a father disciplining his children is a society headed for destruction. This is just common sense. Even the author of Hebrews knows it. He speaks. This is the observation I thought on. It's amazing. This is amazing. This is just common sense. This is common sense. Our society thinks this is wrong. 
I can't even preach on this passage because our society doesn't get the most basic common sense ideas. That children should obey their parents and respect them. It's common. The breakdown of respect for authority is evident everywhere. In homes, in schools, in communities, in courthouses, in families, in government. It's everywhere. It's a disaster. No respect for authority. Let us all do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. And so we come to Hebrews 12, and I say, God's going to spank you. And you go, why? What did I do? I'm a pretty good person. Compared to who? The postmodern culture? I'm really not shocked by the candidates again. I'm not shocked at all. Do you know what is the thriving business of America? Pornography. Thriving. Multi-billion dollar business. You think that what Trump said on that bus is not common? You've got to be kidding me. If they're not doing it on a bus or talking to somebody, they're at home in their bedrooms looking at it and talking like it and thinking like it. This is our culture. Totally depraved. Turned over. Can't even see common sense. Again, discipline is common sense. Even when parents aren't perfect, obviously, have impure motives. Discipline is still a good thing. It creates what? Respect for authority. How many of us need more of that? We need it. Funny how if you attack the foundation of the principle, everything begins to fall apart. By the way, that's why homosexual marriage is an absolute travesty. It's a barbaric thing. Barbaric! It undermines the authority of the household. The father and the wife, the father and the mother, and all of those authority pictures. I know you're like, man, you're just a hard dude. No, no. Husbands must love their wives as Christ loves the church, but they must lead their families and be men. I don't know about you guys, but there are times where I'm just absolutely overwhelmed by the impossibility of what I do. I literally feel like I am running into a brick wall. 
There's hope. There's hope. There's hope in fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Does the gospel matter? Oh, yeah, it matters. For it, as, we, as we focus our attention on him, all obedience, even obedience through suffering, becomes what? It makes sense. Discipline is painful, but profitable. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So what is our last command? It's found in verses 12 and 13. Children must resolve to endure by grace fixed on Jesus. Therefore, strengthen the hands of that hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. What is he doing? He's going right back to that athletic theme. Come on, endure. I know you live in a painful situation. You might be getting spankings for doing wrong things. You might even be getting trained with some pretty tough suffering. Either way, what must you do? Endure. Get your eyes on the prize. Understand that God has a plan and God is in control and God is your father. Keep going. Endure through hardship. Beloved, we are children of God. This is our identity. We are born of God, adopted into his family. We have been redeemed from slavery to law and slavery to sin. We, have, we are sons of God because the Son of God suffered for us. We have a great hope of glory and an inheritance. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We believe in Jesus. We know God and the Son whom he sent. We have a relationship with God as our Father. We cry out to Him, Abba, Father. We are disciplined by Him. We are instructed by Him. We are corrected by Him. We are directed by Him. We are the children of God. So, let's act like it. Let's obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for adopting us into your family. We look at our world, Lord, and we see the desperate condition, and we understand that they are many, many, the most of the world is headed towards your judgment on our children of the devil. Yet, God, you saw us, and we are not any better than them. We were born sinners just like them. We remember back to when we were spiritual orphans, separated from you, children of wrath as 